welcome to Beer Stories for Private Equity. Join us for our weekly happy hour, tapping into 27 years of PE experience, one pint at a time. Beer Stories for Private Equity is powered by Monogram Group. On today's show, we're excited to be joined by Jim Parmalee, Managing Director of Hamilton Robinson in Stamford, Connecticut. And for Monogram Group, here's your host, Scott Markman. Please fasten your seatbelts. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for, for including me. Before we get into the particulars, I have to ask, did you prepare your beer? So I did something a little unusual, Scott. I actually have a Moscow mule with me today. Nice. Um, it's, it's, uh, I like that. <laughs> when I was I was in Texas last week, we had a sale of a portfolio company last June, and we were with the team celebrating. So we had put these little great cups together, and I'm taking advantage of the cup today. So cheers. Awesome. Well, my side of that story is that I dipped in the refrigerator downstairs, and of course, it's where my kids stashed all those stuff for parties. And so this is Odell Brewing Company Drum Roll Hazy Pale Ale from <laughs> Fort Collins, Colorado. Have I tried this? No, but there's always a first. Let's go. All right. And also, by the way, I am not a particularly hazy IPA guy. I know that if you go to any microbrewery in the country, probably 80% of their beers are IPAs because that's what sells. I'm more of a amber porter stout person. I like darker beers, but, you know, twist my arm to drink this. So cheers. <laughs> we have an IPA at uh, 1230 Central. It's a good thing. Agreed. Anyway, Agreed. let's get into it. I want to start a little bit, Jim, with your background, your career, your origin story. And we learned that you had gone to Trinity College in Connecticut and then Columbia for your MBA. So how do you think these uh, universities prepared you for your career in private equity and shaped your views towards uh, the world in general? That's a great question. You know, I, I say both at Trinity and Columbia, for me, what they inspired me to learn so I think leaving those two institutions, I really developed a lifelong passion for learning and a curiosity about the world. And I will say that's really served me well in private equity because given where we play, which is lower middle market companies, we see all these diverse business models. And having that curiosity about learning how they work and why they succeed and what the opportunities are, I never get bored. And I attribute it to that inspiration for learning that came out of Columbia and, and, and Trinity. Obviously, there was the, all the foundational work in accounting and finance and in general management. But at the end of the day, it's that passion for learning, that curiosity, which has really served me well in private equity. You know, it's funny you say that, Jim, because as we've developed our uh, practice and portfolio company work, 90% of the time you're, you're brought into a company in a very niche business that we have no understanding of or history with. And you have to be quick studies and you have to want to learn. There's an intellectual curiosity behind all of it. And it's actually one of the coolest parts of my job, like you're saying, because well, you get to go into these widgets that go into these parts and this is why they're better and this is what the business opportunity is and sort of scratch that itch before we get to the creative stuff. And I just love that part of it. It's amazing. I was in Detroit two weeks ago looking at a company that makes automated guided vehicles, automated mobile robots for manufacturing processes in aerospace and defense. And I hadn't had a lot of background in that. It was just really exciting to see the state of the art, what their vision was for the future. And 
two weeks earlier, I was looking at a business-to-business services company that did inspection and tests of underground storage tanks at gas stations. A completely different business model. You know, technology is a key element for both companies, but I agree with you. Having that curiosity, excitement about learning, it, it really helps in terms of creating, I think, a good foundation for what I do in private equity. No, I understand it completely. Before we leave the college stuff, I have to mention that one of our longtime account execs went to Trinity in San Antonio. And so I sort of lobbed a, uh, a loaded question. <laughs> Why is Trinity in Connecticut the best? I, I'm just, that's funny. For me, it's Trinity. Trinity was a NESCAC conference school, liberal arts education, very small class sizes. And to me, that's really what learning's all about. I was able to get to know professors who really inspired me. Scott, I might be biased, but hands down, the Connecticut's much better. I'm happy to have a conversation with your, <laughs> with your colleague. <laughs> and by the way, I, I mentioned this to you earlier. My older sister went to Wesleyan, which is NESCAC school. And so when I was in high school, I used to take the Amtrak from Baltimore, where I'm from, up to New Haven, transfer trains to go up to Meriden to spend the weekend with my cool older sister partying in the dorms, blah, blah, blah. So I've been in the neck of the woods quite a bit. <laughs> I, I played football at Trinity and we'd play Wesleyan in football each year. And as we're crushing them in the fourth quarter, the students would come out with the chorus of, that's all right, that's okay, you'll be working for us someday. And I didn't agree with that at all, but but that's what we'd hear. What That's what I, it always stuck with me. It's not true, I Scott. I don't recall hearing that kind of institutional arrogance, but <laughs> I could be wrong. The one super cool a uh, graduate of, of uh, Wesleyan is Lin-Manuel Miranda, okay. you know, who wrote Hamilton. You know, I, I would imagine that they uh, point to, at least we have Lin-Manuel and you don't. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. So after college, after business school, like you could have chosen a lot of paths. Why, why private equity? So it's interesting. So I had a really non-traditional route to private equity. I had a 20-year a career on Wall Street as a sell-side equity research analyst at a major investment bank, and then an M&A advisory shop where I advised technology companies on strategic acquisitions. So I did that for 20 years, primarily at Credit Suisse, first Boston's tech group. Spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, but everything I did was about advising. I would give advice in the corporate boardroom to the CEOs of major technology companies on what companies they should acquire. And after doing this for 20 years, I really got the urge to put my advice to action. And really, as opposed to just advising, investing. And I had an opportunity to partner up with Hamilton Robinson seven years ago. And it's really been great for me. And I think one of the things I've truly enjoyed is when I worked on Wall Street as a research analyst in a, in a banker, I worked with, with very large multinational companies. And I really felt like I couldn't make a difference or make an impact. And now I work with family founder owned businesses where I can roll up my sleeves and, and have an impact each and every day as their partners. And everything I learned on Wall Street was really applicable. And I'd spent a lot of time working with private equity. So the transition has been fairly seamless, but the ability to roll up your sleeves and put your money where your mouth is has been something I've really found rewarding. Excellent. So you join a firm seven years ago that on some level is a tenure, but on the history of this firm is a little bit later in the game because the firm goes back to the early 80s. So what can you share with the listeners about the origin story of Hamilton Robinson? Yeah, so we are celebrating our 40th year. We're operating out of our fifth fund. 
And when the firm was founded back in the mid-80s, our managing partner, Scott Oakford, kind of shared this with me. He was with the firm back then. So Hamilton Robinson's actually one person, Tony Robinson. He wanted to call the firm Hamilton Robinson so it would you know, appear that there are multiple people there. <laughs> so, so literally, that's, that gives you a little background in terms of this was a startup, right? A classic startup. I think what's important is the firm's evolved over the last 40 years is that we've had a very consistent strategy the entire time. So we work with family founder-owned businesses in the lower middle market that focus on either specialty manufacturing, business-to-business -business services, or value-added distribution. And that's all we've ever done. So you've had a consistent strategy the entire time. We're specialists because of that approach. So we have relationships in the industry, network of contacts that can be really helpful in providing expertise and resources to our portfolio companies. And many firms are more generalists in this area, so I think that specialization makes us really different. We also have an approach where we partner with our management teams. And when I say that, we really view ourselves as a value-added resource to them as they execute on their operating plan. So to the extent there's an opportunity they want to take advantage of or there's a challenge they confront, we can bring the expertise and resources to them to assist in navigating that challenge or, or creating an opportunity to grow the company at a, at a, at a faster pace. With that longevity comes an ability to provide to our portfolio companies a time-tested playbook of value creation. And there's really four pillars to what we do from a value creation perspective. One is culture of equity ownership. The second is driving operational excellence in a company. The third is professionalization, just many of the blocking and tackling things you need to do as you become bigger. And finally, strategic add-on acquisition. So we are really business builders. We're about growth for these companies. And that's something that we've really honed through a repeatable process, we believe. And we've delivered really good returns to our investors for that reason. The final thing I'd say in terms of the firm's evolution is, I think today we have the best team in the firm's history. We have a, we have a team of professionals that are passionate about what we do, committed to our portcos, and we have a culture where we're having fun every day executing on the thing we love, and that is being partners to our management teams and helping them be successful. So within the framework of what you just described, do you have a specialty focus or ownership of an aspect of things, or are you one of several that kind of do the same thing at the same time? That's a great question. We are across those areas that I mentioned, specialty manufacturing, value-added distribution, B2B services. We all are involved in all facets of it. Having said that, my background is largely technology. I have a minor in computer science, worked in Wall Street with tech companies for quite a long time. So I gravitate to tech-enabled services, companies delivering auto automation and productivity enhancement across the verticals that I highlighted. So that's what gets me really excited. I also do work with value-added distributors. There is a little bit of a, you know, we try to take advantage of the unique strengths of each of our team members, but we are generalists, so we will do whatever we need to do. Um, one of the things, um, so just to let our listeners know, um, our agency is, is completing a project with Jim and his partners on a series of videos that are going to appear on their website. So got to know the firm in the last three months or so to a much deeper level. And one of the things that really jumped out at me as I got to learn about your message and how you do what you do was, I'm going to quote something from your website. 
we promote widespread equity ownership. All of our portfolio companies have widespread equity participation, which aligns the interests of Hamilton Robinson, the management team, and the limited partners. Shared ownership is a cornerstone of our investment strategy. And it a little bit jumped out at me that you prioritize not just maybe the founder having a second bite of the apple, but having the team do that. And it's a thing you push pretty hard. So I want you to talk about that because A, it aligns with how I run my company. And B, I just found it somewhat unique among private equity firms. No, absolutely. You're exactly right. That is really one of the core tenets of how we operate and frankly, why I think we're successful. When you set up a culture of equity ownership, you're really setting the tone for that partnership with the portfolio company over our journey together to grow the business, to make the business more successful over a five-year long-term time period. So offering an equity opportunity, not just to, let's say, the very senior team, but even to a broader array of individuals that can really have an impact, really sets us up to row the boat in the same direction, if you will, to use that analogy, through our journey together. And what we ask our teams to do is to, to write a check, you know, similar to us on the same terms and price as Hamilton Robinson, but then we'll provide a promote, you know, an option, if you will, that really turbocharges their return relative to our return. So we'll dilute ourselves to provide more of an ownership opportunity for the management team. And to give you a sense of it, we have some portfolio companies where we'll have 70 employee investors. I have one portfolio company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where that's exactly the case. And it, it really changes behavior. It makes you think twice about, should we do that acquisition? Should we make that investment? Do we really want to spend this money on this new piece of equipment? It really creates a great operating environment and sets you up for success by having really alignment in terms of what your objectives are and alignment on what drives those objectives. So when you folks, uh, you know, you just mentioned you exited a company, is there some big almost like a mass party, because it's not just two or three people on the private equity part. It's really a lot of people at times. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. We will have town hall meetings with the whole group. So in, in the recent exit that I alluded to, we just had the senior team. It was about 15 people at the, at the dinner. And part of that was who could make it and who couldn't. Um, but we will definitely spend time with the broader team, with the broader management group, with the broader engineering team in many instances to uh, say thank you and to highlight what progress we're making. So what we'll do is probably once every six months, give all of the equity owners an update. How are we doing okay. in terms of moving toward the objectives? So everyone has good visibility to the progress we're making, some of the pitfalls we might have, new opportunities that are emerging. And that's important. We really pride ourselves on being transparent on being communicative with not only our management teams, but all of the our equity owner partners in our portfolio companies. You know, I've prioritized that for decades with the agency for a lot of the, sim the same reasons. And the ups and the downs, by the way, you know, great things that are happening or challenges that are on the horizon. And I just find that, A, it's easier for me to manage the, the agency that way, and B, it's more gratifying for the team to feel like they're a part of what's going on and they feel empowered with information, not just task fillers. And I think that just creates a healthier culture. It's really one of the things we lead with. It's the first conversation we have is this is our philosophy. We really value as a partner. And it's one thing to say it, but two, to offer them equity and to grant them equity, to really 
crystallize that we truly are partners. It changes the dialogue and, and they look at the business in a different lens than they did previously. Excellent. We certainly are reading about projections for 2024 versus 2023 for deal flow and deal opportunities. Lots of things are trending in the right direction. Anything that you're seeing in your conversations or what you've read that is confirming or denying that 2024 is going to hopefully be a strong year? So we obviously track this closely. One of the things you're seeing is inflation is moderating. That's really important to us because the interest in rate environment is becoming more stable. As you know, we're in the leverage buyout business. So the cost of debt is a key component to our modeling as we decide upon which price we want to offer for a, a business we're considering acquiring. So that more stable interest rate environment is, is constructive on a go-forward basis. I think also, as importantly, it feels like we're going to have a relatively soft landing. So economic activity is still relatively solid. That doesn't mean that it hasn't moderated or there's certain parts of the economy where things have pulled back. But I agree with you. I think that the combination of stable interest rates or more certain interest rate environment combined with a solid economic backdrop sets us up to do more deals in 2024 than we did in 2023. We target closing two platform acquisitions each year. We have one under letter of intent right now, and I'm confident we'll get another one done by year end. The other thing that's important to know about us is we're very theme-oriented in the way we invest. And what that does is it, it mitigates our exposure to the broader economic cycle. Our themes are investing in businesses targeting automation and productivity enhancement, businesses that provide critical services, must-do things for businesses, and then finally businesses that benefit from a regulatory or compliance-driven tailwind. So to the extent you see some moderation in the overall economic growth, those tailwinds should still be in place and our businesses should be set up for growth. Excellent. I want to now pivot toward the third area we wanted to chat about. When you reflect back on your career before and during private equity, any sense of what the accomplishment you're most proud of at this juncture? Listen, I, I was really blessed with a really gratifying career on Wall Street for 20 years. So lots of things I'm proud of there. But I will tell you the thing I've enjoyed the most is a successful private equity exit. And being with our team, so we exited this business, a business called Technology. They're based in Austin, Texas. They're focused on providing tests and inspections of the underground storage tanks at gas stations. So num number one contaminant to groundwater in the U.S. is leakage from these tanks. So they do tests all around the country for 7-Eleven, Wawa, Circle K, these big convenience store chains. We partnered with them three and a half years ago. We exited in June of last year, and we met with the team to celebrate our time together, our journey, if you will, last week. And it was just really gratifying to be part of something where we doubled the size of the business in three and a half years. We added more service capabilities to customers. We allowed management, as we talked about, to participate in the equity upside. We delivered solid returns or strong returns to our, our investors. And to see our management partners so excited about what we accomplished together, that is really what gets me up in the morning and excited. And of all the things I've done, that job well done in partnering with the team and delivering a, a successful outcome, building that business, which is what we so much care about, that, that's really the thing I'm most proud about. Awesome. If you're going to have a, a beer or a cup of coffee with a recent B-School grad from Columbia, any words of wisdom? I'd say there's no shortcuts. So you have to put the time in, you have to do, put the preparation in. 
you, you hear about these overnight billionaires and millionaires and whether it's AI or it's cloud or it's um, some type of internet model, I promise you they had no shortcuts either. It's a lot of hard work and putting in that time and that prep, if you do that, great things will happen at the end of the journey. Awesome. Last and the hardest question. Okay. Stanford, Connecticut is at the crossroads of New York and New England. Yep. Red Sox or Yankees and why? <laughs> well, I, as we talked about, I grew up where Wesleyan is, Middletown, Connecticut. So you are literally right on the demarc between Boston and New York. And I am pretty unusual, I'd say. So I grew up as a Boston Red Sox fan, a Boston Celtic fan, and a New York Giants football fan. So oh, I, wow. I kind of, and there's no rhyme or reason for the Giants on the football side other than it was fun watching them every Sunday. So I'm a little bit of a hybrid. I will tell you though, we live in not too far from New York today and my boys all grew up being Knicks fans. And I will admit that I'm a little more of a Knicks fan than I was 20 years ago growing up in central Connecticut. But yeah, Red Sox all the way. Well, as I alluded to, I grew up in Baltimore and as of this week, my favorite private equity person on the planet is David Rubenstein. <laughs> he got us out of financial hell for most of my life so that we can go toe to toe with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and the Dodgers and the Braves and the Rangers and not have to worry about recruiting folks ever again for the rest of my life. And if I met him, and I know two people who are good friends with him. I would hug him. I'm <laughs> I mean, you'll be back to the glory days of the 70s and 80s, right? With Jim Palmer and Brooks Robinson and Cal Ripken. I mean, the, the, those were great teams. You know, but you know, during, the, during the heyday of the Orioles, there was no money in baseball. That came in with George Steinbrenner in 73. And we've been on the wrong end of that equation for literally 50 years. Yeah. And I've managed to build a very strong team now with the lowest like payroll in baseball. And now we get the biggest checkbook out there and other people involved. And it's like, I'm just going to love this for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, maybe this sets up for a friendly wager between the two of us and the Red Sox and the Orioles. Oh, Go ahead, man. Jim, that, that's a sidebar conversation. <laughs> anyway, we need to wrap. This was so spectacular. I really appreciate it. You know, you were as good on camera here as you were when we shot your videos. You were just a pro and so engaging and I, you know, it's what gave me the idea to invite you on this uh, podcast series. And, um, you know, I think you have a second career if you ever want to. From all of us at Monogram Group, thanks for tuning in to Beer Stories for Private Equity, Episode 9. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified as we release new episodes. Please check out the show notes in the description from today's episode. Our email is podcast at monogramgroup.com. Feel free to email us with any comments or questions, and we'll try to answer them in our next episode.